right. Well, it's good to be here. Um, it's been a while since we've uh, since we've been here, and there's a lot of new faces. That's always a good thing. It's always good to to see new people in church. Or I'm just I'm losing my mind. I don't know. I don't know. It's, <laughs> So Acts chapter number four is where we're going to be at today. My, uh, we got in last Monday. We uh, we left Kentucky and then drove down to Houston. That's where we're going to be moving to. Drove to Houston and then drove here. So we did like 2,800 miles in like five days. It was uh, don't want to do that again. So, uh, but uh, it is good to be here. Dad asked me to preach. Uh, both services today. Um, this was before he went back into the hospital, and so um, uh, I'm glad I was able to able to be here to help out. And um, I just want to say a big thank you to everybody, to the whole church for for stepping up and uh, just being a help to my parents. Uh, that, that's a big thing, you know. Being in Kentucky, being across the country, and seeing what my dad's had to go through. Um, It's hard, and I uh, thank you, thank you a lot. Acts chapter number four is where we're going to be at this morning. We'll we'll get to the verses in just a few minutes. I'm going to be talking about this morning my favorite thing in the world to talk about. We're going to be talking about the gospel. We're going to be talking about the gospel. The purpose of this morning's message is to be a help to everybody in here. Whether you're a saved person, whether you believe in God, or whether you don't believe in God, this message is to help you and to challenge you in, a, in your approach to life after you get saved. After you get saved. A lot of times we look at the gospel, we look at the good news of Jesus Christ as just a way for me to get saved. Okay, we look at the gospel as this thing that Jesus died on the cross, he rose again three days later, that's the gospel, I accept it and I'm saved and then I'm kind of done with it. I go throughout my Christian life. But that's just the beginning. The gospel is so much more than that. The gospel is so much more than the, than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what we're going to look at this morning. The title of my message, if you're taking notes this morning, is Living a gospel-shaped life. Letting the gospel completely shape who we are. I want to look at what our lives looked like before the gospel came into our lives and what it should look like now. The gospel is amazing. The gospel is life-transforming and often Christians continue to live in bondage after salvation. They continue to be to live in bondage by sin, by their past. It's not because the gospel didn't have the power to free them of that bondage, but it's because they didn't truly let go. I want to be very clear this morning that the gospel, it's not a get out of jail free card. It's not just a way to get to heaven. It's a life-transforming gift of God. We're going to look at two questions this morning. Two questions that I want every single person in here to ask yourself this morning and this week as you go throughout your life. Two questions. How does the gospel relate to me? How does the gospel relate to me and then the second one we'll look at this morning is, how has the gospel transformed my life? Okay, so how does it relate to me even after salvation? How does it relate to me? And how has the gospel transformed my life? Our first question, how does it relate to me? Well, I, before we get into that, I want to tell you, I love stories. I love a good story. I've never met a single person who doesn't love a good story. 
That's just how, how God has made us. That's how humans are. We love stories. One of my favorite classes in college uh, was, was the art of storytelling. Now, I, I didn't do that great in the class. I'm not a great storyteller, but I love stories so much. I took this class called The Art of Storytelling. It was a, it was a phenomenal class. And most people do love good stories. Why is that? Well, a good story creates a connection with people, a trust element. Because you and I, regardless if you do it consciously or not, when we hear a good story, what do we do? We put ourselves into that story, right? We, we try to picture ourselves, whether it's a movie or a book or somebody telling, somebody's telling us a story, we put ourselves into that story. Studies show that a great reason why stories like stick with us or are easily remembered is that roughly 40% of all people will be predominantly visual learners. Okay, they learn things uh, best from like videos, diagrams, or illustrations. Another 40% of people are auditory learners. Okay, they learn best through lectures or discussions. The remaining 20% of all people are kinesthetic learners. And what that means is they learn best by doing. Okay, they learn best by experiencing, doing something, feeling something. And this is why stories are so widely accepted by, uh, by everybody. Because a story touches all of those aspects. You know, Jesus Christ understood this. This is how God made us. God made us to connect through storytelling. And Jesus understood that because in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one-third, over one-third of all of Jesus' teaching was done through storytelling, through parables and illustrations that he would tell. Over one-third of all of Jesus Christ's teaching when he was here on this earth was through the art of storytelling. And so why do I bring this up? Why do I bring this up this morning? It's because I want you to view the Bible in this way. I want you to take this book and look at the entire book as God's story. The entire Bible is the story of God. The Bible is God's story of redemption. A lot of people look at this book as just a book of rules. They look at this book as a book of moral guidelines, a list of do's and don'ts, fairy tales, things that just didn't happen. They, 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 they look at page after page of this wonderful book and they don't apply it to their life. Now, this, this book has a lot of rules in it. It has a lot of principles. It has a lot of guidelines. It has a lot of things that tell us, hey, you should do this, you shouldn't do this. But that's not, that's not the primary purpose of this book. This book, from Genesis to Revelation, every single page in this book points to one person, Jesus Christ. Every story every principle, every chapter points to the redemption story that God has made for us. So I want you to look at this in that way. You see, God created us to have a relationship with Him. Okay, And this is where our story begins. In the book of Genesis, God created mankind for the sole purpose of having a relationship with us. This is where the story starts. But then man messed it up. Man messed up. He sinned. He went against God's plan. God created us to have this relationship. And man messed it up. And the rest of this book, the rest of this book is, is, is the redemption story. We go through the Old Testament, we go through the New Testament, and we see that 
The whole purpose of the Bible is God revealing himself through the stories of the Bible, or it's revealing the need for God through through the stories in, in, in the Bible. Okay? It's God's redemptive plan being unfolded because we are we are a sinful people. So God is revealing himself in scripture or he's revealing how sinful we are and how we need him. That is the point of the redemptive story of the Bible. Like I said, the amazing truth of this is that every single page points to one person, Jesus Christ. But I don't think that that's not even the best part. You know the best part of all of this? The gospel allows you and I to be a part of that story. So this, this, whole, this whole book is a redemptive story of where man messed up, right? We know the story of Adam and Eve. And we know the story of, of God unfolding his redemption, of, of establishing the law to show how sinful man is. And to see that all throughout the Old Testament, and then Jesus comes in the New Testament, we just celebrated Christmas, and the wonderful story of God's, of Jesus' birth, and where he comes to save us from our sins, to redeem us. And the gospel allows us to be a part of that. The gospel allows us to come into God's story and to make it personal to us. So how does the gospel relate to you? It allows you to be a part of God's story. It allows each and every one of us to come in and to be personal with God. Think about that. That the God of this universe wants to have a relationship with you. When you and I choose to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, personally accepting it, for ourselves, we now have this opportunity to have a relationship with God. And how, how you and how I approach this relationship will determine your quality of the walk that you have with God. How you approach this relationship, if you approach it flippantly or if you approach it passionately, it's going gonna, it's gonna to determine the quality of the walk that you have with God. So I want you to start looking at the Bible and uh, your relationship with God in this way. I am part of God's redemptive plan for mankind. And he wants to personally have a relationship with me. Look at the Bible that way. Each of you, this week, when you go home, and you go into work, and you're living your life, realize I am part of of God's plan. That's awesome. If that doesn't like stir you to worship, stir you to love God more, you're missing out. You're missing out. The gospel relates to me in such a personal way. But too often Christians approach the Bible in this way. What can I get out of the Bible to help me live my life? What, 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 what principles can I get out of this book to, to just live a better life? Because, you know, there's a lot of good principles in here. And unsaved people, if they apply these principles, can, can, can have a decent life. Unsaved people that I know, they can apply the, the financial principles of this book and do pretty well financially. They can have the, the, the principles that God teaches about hard work and have a good job. They, they can apply the principles about raising a good family and have a good family. But if they miss the gospel, they miss it all. Because the gospel is what makes it personal to me. You can apply the principles of this book, but if you don't know God, you miss everything. Sometimes people approach the Bible in this way. 
If I don't do these things, I won't please God. Don't live in that bondage. God, God doesn't say this. God doesn't say, do this list and I'm going to be happy with you. What does God say? But without faith, it is impossible to please God. He doesn't say do a list of, of, of do, do this list, do, do all of the right things, have a good family, have a good job, and I'm going to be happy with you. He says, live by faith. Trust in me. Get to know me. That pleases me. The gospel relates to us in such a personal way that it, it, it releases us from the bondage of a list of do's and don'ts. That's what we call religion. Religion is a list of do's and don'ts. God says, I want to know you. I want to, I want to walk with you. And I'm going to give you something that allows you to do that, and it's called the gospel. The gospel, the good news. Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins. We need to choose to live in the power of God's love that has transformed our lives. If you're taking notes, excuse me, if you're taking notes, I have three quick statements to help you remember this. To help you remember this principle of how the gospel relates to me, here we go. What God wants is you. What God wants is you. This is the story of God, right? Okay, the story of the Bible. So why he created us. Because he wants you. He wants to know you. So number one, what God wants is you. Number two, who God is, is holy. Okay, so what does God want? God wants, first and foremost, he wants you. He wants this relationship with you. But who God is, is holy. And because God is holy and because man messed up and sinned, this relationship was broken. Okay? So if God wants a relationship with you, but he is holy and can't have sin in his presence, how does he fix it? How does God win? Our, statement, our third statement is how he wins is love. So what God wants is you. Who he, who he is is holy, and how he wins and overcomes sin is through the love of Jesus. How he wins is through love. <clears throat> now, that, now that we understand how the gospel and how the Bible relates to us personally, Let's, let's look at, for the, the rest of our sermon this morning, this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time, is this question. How has the gospel transformed me? How has the gospel transformed me? And yes, it has something to do with these boxes. So if you saw me walk in, I walked in late. My wife's not feeling well, so I was running late. Uh, so I didn't get to meet everybody, but yes, we're going to get to these boxes. They're filthy because they came from my dad's garage. So uh, <laughs> don't tell him I said that, but all right. So we're going to be talking about these boxes in a minute. It's, gonna, it's, it's an awesome illustration that we'll get to at the end. So how has the gospel transformed me? How has the gospel transformed me? Let's jump into our passage in Acts. Acts chapter number four. Acts chapter number four. In verse number 32. This is my favorite, my most favorite book of the Bible. The book of Acts. The book of Acts has so much good stuff in it. We're going to look at just two verses this morning. Acts chapter four, verse 32. So, so chapter number four, to give us context, it starts off with Peter and John. Uh, they, they, they were speaking at the temple and they get arrested and all of that. We know that story, but let's jump to verse number 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart 
and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Let's go back to the beginning of verse number 32. The beginning of verse number 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. So how has the gospel transformed my life? Number one, the gospel gives me a new identity. The gospel gives me a new identity. Which begs the question, why? Why Why? why did Christ give us a new identity? Like, why was that necessary? Why was it necessary to give us this new identity? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So why did Christ give us a new identity? Why did he have to make us into a new creature when we, get, when we got saved? Let me explain it in this way. Because this is just how my mind works. I was a youth pastor for five years. So I, I think trivi- very trivial. Okay, uh, We've all seen these movies, right? Or TV shows of these like secret agents, right? We have a secret agent, and we all want to be one. We all like want to be a secret agent. We all want to be like the next Jason Bourne or something like that. Okay, uh, we want to be that. Why? Because it's cool, right? Okay, that's just how we want to be. Okay. And we see this guy that has multiple identities. Right? This guy like opens up a suitcase and he has like 15 passports and stuff. You're like, wow, that's. A, I want to be like that. Um, or maybe I'm just weird. That's probably it. Okay, so. But why, why, do, why do those like, secret agents like, have to have all of these identities? Why? Okay, because he has a mission to accomplish. Okay? His agency says, you need to accomplish this mission, and your real self can't accomplish the mission. Okay? Who you really are can't accomplish this mission. So here's a new identity. Here's a new name. Here... Here, here's a here's new uh, new passport. All of this that you need. Here's the new you, so you can accomplish this mission. And this is what God's done with us. Because when we got saved, guess what? He gave us a mission. God gave us the mission. What is that mission? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Okay, to 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 be witnesses. In the whole world. When we get saved, we get a new identity. Why? Because our old self, who we were, cannot accomplish that mission. Who you were before Christ can't accomplish that mission of glorifying God. And so God says, you know what? I'm going to make you new. I'm going to make you a new person, a new creature. I'm going to give you a new identity. Instead of blending in with the world, our new identity stands out. It's different. It's set apart. It's unique. So that we can accomplish God's mission of glorifying Him in everything that we say, think, and do. So we're going to dive into this and unpack how people and why people struggle with this idea of identity because this is something this is something that I've probably been meditating on and thinking about for about 18 months now. God's done a huge work in my life. and I would love to share my personal testimony with each of you. We don't have time for that this morning, but um, this idea of identity in, in Christ giving us a new identity, a lot of people struggle with this. A lot of Christians struggle with who they actually are in Christ. We're going to be talking about We're just going to unpack this a little bit this morning. 
In Acts chapter 4, verse number 32, there's, a, there's an awesome word in there that we read. Of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. That word soul is a pretty cool word. The, soul, the word soul in, in this verse is the Greek word suke. Okay, I took two years of Greek. It did me no good. Okay, so I don't even know if I pronounced that correctly. But okay, so the word, the Greek word here is suke. Okay, you know what, what word in English we get from that? We get the word psyche. Okay, we hear that a lot in our society today. Psyche. What, what is that? Okay. It's who you are at the deepest level. Okay? So it says here in this verse that they were of one heart and of one soul. Okay? God has transformed our psyche. He has transformed who each and every one of us are at the deepest possible level. Your core, who you are, your soul has been changed by the power of God. This is what Christ transformed, what he transforms and what he makes new through the power of the gospel. He comes in and he transforms your soul, your psyche, who you are at the deepest level. When we think of this word identity, our world is consumed with it. Our world is consumed with this idea of identity. Okay, This is something we've probably all heard. Okay, This idea of this topic of gender identity, okay? Consumed with defining yourself, right? Consumed with def defining who I really am, what I identify with. And my goal isn't this morning to get into that topic, but to point out this is something our world is consumed with, and it's not, and we as Christians aren't immune to it, okay? With this struggle of who we actually are. Okay. This idea of do what you want. It's your life. Have it your way. Which begs another question. Why do we have to have our identity in someone or something else? Why do we have to identify with something each and every one of you in here this morning identify with something or someone or as someone, okay? You, you identify, that's your identity, who you are. It might, be, it might be your family heritage. It might be your career that identifies you as successful. It might be this church. It might be a spouse. It might be your kids. Each and every one of us identifies with something that says, if I lost that, I would lose everything. If there is something like that in your life, then you have an identity crisis. Because that's not how God wants us to live. Okay, this is how God made us. This is how God has made us. Each and every one of us, each human being has an inner desire to identify with something greater than themselves. Each person alive, whether they admit it or not, longs, desires to identify with something bigger than themselves. This is why we have so many different religions in this world. Romans chapter number one explains this. We're not going to get into that chapter today, but it explains it in really great detail of why God made us in this way. If you want to read that and study that passage, it's fantastic. Speaking of the sin of man and uh, why there's so many different religions in this world. But this is how God has made us. Our world has an identity crisis, and even Christians struggle with who they are at the deepest level. We're going to go through something. Hang with me. I'm going to go through something that somebody a lot smarter than me that came up with. Three, we're going to break down this idea of identity into three areas. Three areas that I didn't come up with, somebody a lot smarter than me did. But it's super helpful. It really helps my life, and I think it'll help yours. Let's look at this. 
Number one in this idea of identity is traditional. Traditional identity. A traditional identity. What do I mean by that? Okay. This is where, if you can remember this, okay, a traditional identity is where others get to define you. Other people, other organizations, other whatever get to define you. So let's break this down and unpack this a little bit this morning. This is where you are going to get validation from family, friends, coworkers, a boss, a coach, the military, a political party, or even a church. Okay? Where you are validated as a human being through those sources. Okay? So you're with me this morning? This is a traditional approach. The traditional identity is where other people get to define who I am. What is success in my life? Okay, it's built upon these three things. It's built upon these three things. Honor, duty, and principle. Honor, duty, and principle. Okay, you will never feel accomplished in life if others don't value your actions. Your foundation of life is built upon other people, what people think of you. Your foundation is built upon that. Okay, we just finished Christmas, right? Okay. How many of you this Christmas season got to watch It's a Wonderful Life? Okay, like two of you? I didn't either. So I haven't seen that movie in like 10 years. But um, it's a great movie. I'm sure most of us have seen this. I, this, this movie, It's a Wonderful Life, okay? Like the oldest Christmas movie ever, okay? Um, George Bailey, okay, the main character in that movie, struggled with this idea of his foundation was built upon his family, his community. When all of that fell apart, his life crumbled. Okay, if you understand that movie, right? All of those things failed, the money went away, everything went away, and his life fell apart. This is what I'm talking about, where your validation, your foundation for life is built upon other people and what people think of you. Honor, duty, and principle. These are great principles. On the surface, they seem biblical. But here's the problem with it. Here's the problem. If you live your whole life just based upon honor, duty, and principle of what people think, and just doing the right thing, just because you're afraid of what people think of you, here's the problem with that. It lacks uniqueness, and it lacks individuality that God has created you to be. God has made each and every one of you special and unique. And when you let other people define your life, that's a problem. We're going to get to, in a minute, how we should live our lives but the reason why this is a problem is when these validation sources fail you, because they will, when family lets you down, when friends let you down, when your money runs out, when your career crumbles, if that is what is validating you, guess what? Your life falls apart. Your life falls apart. If that is your foundation, it's gone. There's a Bible example of this in Galatians chapter number two of, of Peter. Okay, Peter struggled with this, the apostle Peter. He struggled with this. He struggled with this idea of, of God loving the whole world. Okay, he was a Jew. This is how he had grown up. And he struggled with, if you take the time and you study it, and you go to Galatians chapter two, we're running out of time, so we're not going to do that this morning. But in Galatians chapter number 2, Peter is struggling with this idea that Jesus loves the whole world. Okay? Because the Jews back then, their mindset that God only loved them and he didn't love the Gentiles. And they, they struggled with that. And, and the Apostle Paul comes to Peter and was like, dude, what's wrong with you? 
wake up. The Bible says it in this way that he withstood him to the face. He got mad at him. He probably yelled at him and said, Peter, what's wrong with you, man? God loves everybody. God loves everybody. And and Peter struggled a lot with that because his foundation wasn't in God. His foundation was in a religion. His foundation was in this, this Jewish religion and not in a relationship with God. This idea of a traditional identity where others define you is living your life and making decisions because you know you will get certain responses and acceptance from those around you. If that's how you live your life, that's a very unjoyful life. It's a very unhappy life. It's not a fulfilling life. That's not what God wants, okay? A traditional identity. Number two, this is something that we probably are more aware of. I don't think anybody in here probably struggles with this, but this is how our world views identity, okay? So we're going to call it a modern identity. So we have traditional identity where others get to define me, okay? The modern approach to this is where you get to define you, okay? You get to define you. Why Why does our world run to this, okay? Because they despise. They despise this traditional approach where others get to tell me what to do, okay? This is why authority, the struggle for authority is such a big deal in our country, in our world, that people buck against authority, okay? Because the world doesn't want to be told what to do, okay? Most of you don't like being told what to do. I don't, mean to, I don't like being told what to do, okay? We don't like that in and of ourselves. We don't like being told what to do, okay? And so I don't want, I don't want my family, I don't want my job defining who I am and what success is for me, so I'm going to define success for my life. I get to define who I am and what is successful, and my foundation for life is what I say. This is, they, they swing to the complete opposite side of the spectrum. Whereas traditional identity has nothing to do with the individual, has nothing to do with our uniqueness that God has made. The modern approach to it is it's all about me. It's all about who I am, a very selfish approach to life. This is why we have these things where I identify as Fill in the blank, okay? It's getting crazier and crazier by the day, okay? Why? Because, because the world is looking for something to identify with, to give them validation, and they're not, they don't want it from, they don't want it from the traditional approach of, 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 of like honor, duty, and principle. So they swing to this side and say, okay, what makes me happy? What makes me happy? What, what is going to validate who I am as a person? So they just whatever they want. This goes back to what we talked about of, of how God made us. Okay? God made us to, 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 to look to something that is bigger than ourselves, i.e. humanism is born. Okay? This idea, this, this is a religion, humanism. This is what our world struggles with. This is born from this idea that I'm in charge. The Bible example of this is is the story of Lot. Story of Lot. You know the story, right? He rejected God. He rejected his uncle. So he rejected this idea of God's in charge. He rejected the idea of, I don't care what my family thinks. I'm just going to do what I want. What happened? His life was destroyed. His city was destroyed. His family was destroyed. You see, when life falls apart, because it will, all of us have experienced it. Some of you might be going through it right now. When life falls apart, what happens? Wherever your foundation is, whether that's a traditional approach, where it's family, or it's like, it's all about me, when those crumble, what happens? 
Your life falls apart if you have a traditional approach to it or if you have a modern approach. But what does God want? What does God want for us? And this is where we have our third and biblical approach to identity in our life is a gospel identity. A traditional identity is where others get to define you. A modern identity is where you get to define you. And a gospel identity is where God gets to define you. God gets to say who you are. Our foundation and validation comes from God alone. You find who you actually are when you find Christ. I'm going to say that again. You find who you actually are when you find Christ. Mark chapter 8, verse number 35. Write this reference down and go back and look at it. It's, it's, it's awesome. Mark 8, 35. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall save it. You know the cool thing about that verse? Two times. The word life is used. Okay? Whoever will save his life shall lose it, and who, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospel is the same shall save it. Okay? That word life is the exact same Greek word in Acts chapter 4, verse number 32, soul. Okay? Remember that word? Acts 4, 32, soul. The suke, our psyche, who we are at the deepest level. This is what Mark 8.35 is saying. That's the exact same word in the, the original language. Your psyche. Okay? Who you are at the deepest level, God wants to transform it. God wants to make it new. When you let God define your life, He will transform it. You can start the journey that God has intended for you. Why is this so important? Why is this so important? Because when life falls apart, it will. How you act and how you react to the situation speaks directly to where your identity is. When things fall apart, when life blows up, how you react to the situation tells me where your identity is. Example, say you go to work tomorrow and your boss for no reason decides to fire you. How are you going to react to that? Yeah, it's going to be disappointing. Yeah, it's not, that's not something that you're looking forward to. Man, I hope he fires me. Well, maybe you are. I don't know. Um, <laughs> maybe you are. But, okay, that's not a happy situation, right? Okay, that's not a happy situation. But how you react and act to that situation tells me where your identity is, okay? If your identity is in God and God alone, okay, where, where God gets to define me, where it says, I am a child of God, Nothing else in this world matters. Guess what? My hope is in the Lord. The song we sang this morning, In Christ Alone, My Hope is Found. He is my light, my strength, my song. And when life falls apart, who cares about the job? Who cares about your career? Who cares about getting diagnosed with something that you didn't want? If Christ is your center, if the gospel has defined who you are, it doesn't matter Amen. because he is the only thing that matters. Who you are at the deepest level is secure in Christ alone. Cancer, divorce, children, going astray, loss of a job. These are all terrible things that all of us in here have probably struggled with and gone through. 
And I'm not making light of any of those things. But when our identity is secure in Christ, He helps us through those things. It doesn't make those things go away. He helps us through those things. It is a reality that Jesus Christ, through the power of the resurrection, gives us a new identity. Do you realize that you and I have access to resurrection power? The same power that resurrected our God is the same power that's going to help you get through that cancer. Is the same power that's going to help you get through your family problems. It's the same power. And when we doubt God and we say, God, you've left me. God, you don't care about me. That's saying, God, I know what's best for my life. And that's not true. God doesn't take away our problems. But he gives us a way to handle our problems and gives us a new perspective on our problems. He gives you the power to overcome. You are not a weak failure. You are not primarily an employee of your company. You are primarily not a member of your family, not a member of this church. You are a child of God. You know what that means? That you are a child of the King. You are a child of the almighty, unchangeable God. This God that created this world, he wants you. Who is defining your life? John chapter 1 Verse number 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Galatians 3.26, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.16 and 17, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. As a believer, our identity should only come from Christ. God desires you. So now we get to this illustration. Can we all read this? Try to get like the biggest font I can find. Okay, so this this box is going to represent you. Okay, you got that? It's a nice box. I think my mom puts cookies in this box. I took it without asking. I mean, sorry. So this is you. Okay. So picture this. Picture this. When you get saved, when you trust Christ. Christ, Christ's righteousness was given to you, okay? The Bible word is he imputed his righteousness to you, right? Okay, he gives us that, okay? 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Okay? So when we get saved, we have a home in heaven, right? We are secure, Christ's righteousness is given to us. We have a home in heaven. There's so many promises that actually when you get saved, we could spend like months just talking about that, like what we get when we get saved. Okay, but we all understand that we have a home in heaven. We get to go there. We have this relationship with God now. Okay, but that's not the only thing that happens. Not only do we get a home in heaven, But Christ wants to empower us. 
Okay, he wants to empower each and every one of you to accomplish his mission, to accomplish his will. He is in us. Okay, Colossians 1.27 says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. 2 Corinthians 4.7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Philippians 1.20, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 1 John 4.4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Okay, so when we get saved, we have a home in heaven, but not only that, we just read all those verses, Christ wants to come into our life to empower us. Okay, so this box represents Jesus. Okay, when we get saved, he comes inside of us. He comes inside of you. Why? To empower you, to help you. Okay? To convict you of sin, to help you in your daily life. He comes inside of you. Okay? But guess what? It doesn't stop there. Okay? I'm going to bring this over here so I don't have to hold it. He comes inside of us. Next, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Over and over, the Apostle Paul, in, in his writings, in the epistles, talks about how we, how our relationship with God, how God views us, not only is Christ in us, we are in him. Okay? So when we get saved, Christ comes into our life, but also we are in him. Okay? We are in Christ, okay? So our life, when we accept Christ, our identity, Christ comes into our life to empower us, to embolden us, to strengthen us. But then the Bible says over and over again how our life is in Jesus Christ. That's so awesome to think. But it doesn't stop there. Colossians 3, verse number 3. For ye are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. When we get saved, Christ comes into our life. He empowers us. And then we are, we are, we are consumed by the love of Christ, right? We, we are in Christ. And then he says, you know what? Your life is hid, it's protected with Christ in God. So I got this tote. Represents God. Okay, I'm going to just put it down here. You know what? Your life is hid with Christ in God. You know, what, you know what you could say now? You're larger than life. That, that is amazing to think about your identity. Guess what? You're in there. She can't see you. You can't, you can't see who you even were. You can't even see the struggles 
that defines you, when you let God define you and validate you and re-identify you, this is you. When God looks at you, who does he see? Christ. And your life is hid with Christ in God. John 10, 28 and 29, And I give them unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand out of my hand my father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand when we get saved we get placed in Christ's hand and in Christ's hand in God's hand okay God the father our life is hid with Christ in God nobody can take that away nobody can take that away because Christ defines you John 14, 20. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye and me, and I in you. It's an amazing verse. Here's the sad thing. Here's the sad part. You can't. The awesome thing about God is you can't lose your salvation, right? You can't. We're, we're protected. Our life is hid with Christ and God, right? When we get saved, we're in Christ's hand, we're in the Father's hand forever. You can't lose that. That's awesome. That's encouraging. But here's the sad part is when a lot of Christians, they're not satisfied with this. They're not satisfied with letting God define them. They're not, they're not satisfied with, with letting God be in control. Okay? So what happens? They cover it up. They're ashamed. They're ashamed of they're ashamed of God. Because God's not enough for us. And when we look look at what all God has given to us. He has given us access to power, to resurrection power, to overcome our problems, to redefine us, to redefine success. And we say, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. I'm ashamed of you. You're not going to lose your salvation. That's secure. But we don't want to identify with God. 1 Corinthians 1. But of him are ye in Christ, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, that he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Christ should have preeminence in our life. In Christ alone my hope is found. My hope is Jesus. My strength. My, my entire life should be identified by God. God should have the control of my life. And the gospel allows me to do that. The gospel says, you're free. You're free from this bondage. Who cares what other people think of you? Who cares about the religion? Who cares about the list of do's and don'ts? Because you are secure in me. I give you freedom. How am I going to accomplish this? How am I going to live my life where God has the freedom and the control to do whatever? How do I do that? Because he gives us access to that power. Look at verse number 33 if you're still in Acts chapter 4. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. This is what gives us the ability to overcome. This is what gives us the ability to overcome our past and lean on Christ alone because you can't do it.
So we've talked a lot about we talked about a lot of stuff this morning. But it boils down to this. What defines your life? Or who defines your life? Does God? Does God define success in your life? When you fail, when you mess up, how do you view yourself? I'm going to leave you with this, with this question. I encourage you to write it down. Which best describes your relationship with God? Okay. Which three of these things best describes your relationship with God? Are you a performer? Where you have to do things to please God? Or are you a hostage? Where if I don't please God, if I don't do this thing, if I don't do this, this Christian thing, if I don't come to church, if I don't do it, he's going to get mad at me. Is that how you view God? Or are you a child? Which best describes your personal relationship with God? Are you a performer? Are you a hostage? Or are you a child? Where is your identity? Did Christ truly transform your life? Only you can answer that. Did he truly transform your life? Let's pray.